This evening to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21. We're looking at uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And here we notice that the Holy Spirit is the one who builds the church and uh, blesses the church with gifts. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the gift that the church enjoys and with an obligation to share those gifts with others. So Lord's Day 21, question and answer 54 and 55. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, the believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. And then if you'll turn to God's holy word to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and I'll read the whole chapter in your hearing. One Corinthians twelve, beginning at verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Over the past number of weeks, we've been looking at the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is the gift of the ascended Christ that was poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. And we've been tracing the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people of God. And the Holy Spirit does work individually in the lives of the elect, those whom God has chosen from before the foundation of the world, and those for whom Christ has shed His blood. He moves in them, sanctifies them, conforms them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But He also works corporately within the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, though he works individually in believers, he never leaves those believers as individuals, but he unites them into a community of saints. And in that community of saints, within the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit works powerfully, and his graces flow throughout the church so that uh, the church is marked by his work in its midst. And this evening, I want to look at the Holy Spirit's work within the church in a corporate manner, both as the one who heals our rifts and as the one who gives us gifts, and doing it from 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit is the one who heals our rifts. At the beginning of the chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about what believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have in common. So you can see this in verse 4, for instance, where he says there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And then again in verse 7, he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And this teaching that each believer receives the Spirit of God is 
spoken of with more solidity in verses 12 to 13. He talks about the church as the body. The body is one. It has many members. And then particularly in verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And so Jesus Christ is the great baptizer. And what the Lord Jesus does is baptize every individual believer in the Spirit or with the Spirit, so that we are all recipients of the Holy Spirit of God as members of Christ. And he reiterates this at the end of verse 13, where he says that all were made to drink of the Spirit. And certainly that's a reference to what our Lord Jesus said in John 7, that uh, those who believe in him out of their bellies, the, the living water shall flow. This he spoke of the Spirit who had not yet been given because Christ has not yet been glorified. But now that Christ has been glorified, the Spirit has come upon each individual believer. Everyone gets the Spirit. You might know if you have Christian friends who are of a charismatic stripe that they understand these words differently. They believe that there are ordinary Christians and then there are super-Christians who have received the baptism of the Spirit. And those super-Christians who receive the baptism of the Spirit as a second blessing, that blessing is evidence in the ability to speak in tongues or to interpret tongues or to do uh, miracles and gifts and are blessed with gifts of healing. But that is decidedly not what the Apostle Paul is speaking about here. There are no second-class, no second-tier Christians. There are only Christians, and each Christian has been baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the initiation gift of Christ to that believer is the Holy Spirit. And since we share the Spirit of God, each one who is a true Christian believer as part of the body of Christ, that has implications for how we live as Christians. It means, first of all, that the church ought to be a place of unity. Unity because we all share in the same Spirit. You have been given the Spirit, I have been given the Spirit, and there are not multiple Spirits, there is only one Holy Spirit. And he is given to each individual believer. All Christians are baptized in the Spirit by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should impact the unity of the church. It is, as you know, sin that brings about disunity. You see this in the Garden of Eden so readily. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, Adam and Eve also fell apart. They did not have that harmony that they once had, the joy and blessing that Adam expressed on seeing his wife for the first time was gone. And then you look at Genesis 4 and the disunity between brothers as Cain rises up and kills his brother Abel. And then the rest of the Scripture and the rest of the history, wars and rumors of wars and divisions and tensions have been the fodder for our daily newscasts. There's all kinds of division in this world. It is so difficult for people to get along. 
And it would be a lovely thing if that were different in the church. But even in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, amongst believers who share the Spirit, churches split in two, marriages are broken apart, friendships are shattered. And these things ought not to be because, Paul says, the Spirit is given, the same Spirit is given to each believer. The church ought to be radically different than the world. There ought to be no disunity among members of Christ. In fact, Paul illustrates this in this chapter in, in verse 13 by, by taking the, the historic rivalries that existed between Jews and Greeks, between slaves or free. And he says it doesn't matter. Those cultural and ethnic and societal boundaries, they, they no longer matter within the church. The Jews get the Spirit, and the Greeks do as well. The slaves who get nothing, they get the Spirit as well as the free. It doesn't matter. All receive the Spirit of God. And because we receive the Spirit of God, those barriers are gone. There is an immense diversity amongst the people of God. But amidst that diversity, there is this profound unity among Christian believers because we share in the Spirit. And if it's true that ethnic and social customs and barriers are removed, then it's also true that every other sort of barrier ought to be removed as well within the church. And that's not how the church often is. The church is divided. It's divided into families. It's divided into cliques. It's divided into common interests so that uh, we hang around people who have similar interests to us. Or young families either hang around other biological family members or around other young families. And it would seem strange for uh, an old person or an older couple to be invited to the home of a younger couple because in the church we are so segregated by so many things. The unmarried are separated from the married, and the older from the younger, and the richer from the poor, and urban is separated from the rural, and, and we don't seem to mix well with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know the tendency to spend time with those who are like us, not to go out of our way to those who are unlike us. But we ought to do that because what we share in common is far more than simply interests or occupation or social status or culture or ethnicity. We share the Holy Spirit of God. And that unity of the Spirit binds us together so profoundly that the Apostle Paul can say at the end of uh, the section in chapter 12, verse 25, he says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Imagine the impact that kind of church would have on our culture. Our culture is so divided into factions and special interest groups, divided because of sin and acrimony between one another, race and class conflicts. 
And imagine if the church would be so united that you have all these people coming from different ethnicities and different ages and different backgrounds and different experiences, and and they all come together, and they love one another, and they, they care for each other, and they have joy together. What kind of influence that would have on the culture around us? I often think about this uh, around weddings and funerals, and we have our share of weddings and funerals at Trinity Church, and what I've noticed is that uh, almost no one comes to weddings or funerals except the family or unless you are invited. But certainly Paul's words here, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. Certainly that does say something about attendance at funerals and weddings. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing that uh, a couple gets married and the church is full because we want to rejoice with the family and with a young couple and, and unbelievers come amongst us as they often do at weddings and funerals for that matter. And they say, my, you must have a big family. And we say, we do have a big family. What's, it's, it's, how, where did they all come from? Well, it's, it's because we've all been baptized by the Spirit of God. We're all Christian believers. We all belong to the family of God. And as members of God's family, we love each other and care for each other. What an impact that would have. How attractive that would be to a society all around us when the church rises above the petty divisions and factions when we care for one another and love each other irrespective of our cultural status or ethnicity or sex or, or uh, idiosyncrasies, where we all embrace one another because we've all been given the Spirit of the living God by our Lord Jesus Christ who has purchased us by His blood. We have a unity that the world does not have. The church is a unique institution on earth because God is the one who chooses who you must love and be in fellowship with. He does that sovereignly by His Spirit and through His Word. And because we have that same Spirit, we are one as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that oneness must be worked out in our day-to-day lives. I say deliberately that it must be worked out because unity never just happens. It is a fact because of the Spirit of God, but it is a unity that must be maintained, that must be encouraged, that must be professed. And Satan is always at work trying to sow divisions among brothers and sisters in Christ, helping us to see each other's weaknesses not enabling or encouraging us to bear with each other's follies. No, the Satan is the master divider, but the Spirit is the master uniter. And so we must work hard at unity, maintaining the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. We must love one another deeply. We must bear with each other's faults. We must forgive each other's wrongs. We must overlook each other's idiosyncrasies, or, or better yet, embrace each other, particularly for the idiosyncrasies. Love people because of their uniquenesses. We must go out of our way to be hospitable and to serve one another, not just those who are like us or those who are biologically related to us, 
but all those who have the same Spirit of Christ, because the Spirit in the church is the one who heals our rifts. But he doesn't only do that. The Apostle Paul highlights that in the whole book of Corinthians because he's speaking to Christians who, who are in factions. At the beginning of the letter, he talks about those who say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I am of Cephas. No, I am of Christ. And he says, brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We have the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to us, to each one of us. And in the Spirit, we have unity. He heals our rifts, and He also gives us gifts. So there is a unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ. But in the midst of that unity, there is a profound diversity as well. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of service, verse 5. And there are varieties of activities, verse 6. So there is diversity in the church. And this thought is developed by the apostle in the metaphor he uses of the human body in verses 14 through 31. And it's fairly easy to understand that Trinity as a particular manifestation of the body of Christ. We're one body, but we're made up of many people and Paul says we're made up of many parts, just as the body is. There are eyes and ears and pituitary glands and hearts and kidneys and legs and femurs and toes and all sorts of members of your physical body, but together they make up the body of Christ. That's what Paul is speaking of, or the human body. And the church together makes up the body of Christ. And so Paul here says a number of things about this body that's helpful for us to understand about the church. First of all, he says everyone contributes something to the church of Jesus Christ. You'll notice here in verses uh, 8 and following, and then at the end of the chapter, that the Apostle Paul speaks about gifts that we don't see in function today. For instance, the gifts of healing or working of miracles or prophecy or tongues or interpretation of tongues. Or at the end of the chapter, he speaks about apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles, gifts of healing, etc. Now, he's talking, of course, to a particular situation. He's talking to the Corinthian church in the apostolic age, that is, the age following the time of Christ until the closing of the New Testament Scriptures. So within that period, there were various gifts of tongues and prophecy and interpretation, healing and miracles, special period within the church of Christ where the Holy Spirit was poured out in particular ways in order to confirm the authenticity and authority of the apostolic message. And with the closing of the Bible, when all the parts of the Bible had been added and written, well, then those confirmatory gifts of the Spirit were no longer necessary, and they phased out of the life of the church. But, of course, Paul is speaking within that apostolic period, so so he would refer to the gifts that they were experiencing, even if they're not the same gifts that we experience here in 2023. But he could have listed a a number of other gifts, the gift of encouragement, the 
the gift of hospitality, the gift of being an elder or a deacon, the gift of ministry and the Word of God. Everyone has been given a gift to contribute to the church. Secondly, every gift that a person has is from the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Again, in verse 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Now, there has always been discussion within the church of Christ whether a person's gifts are natural or supernatural. Is a person just gifted at hospitality because of their natural makeup, or is that a spiritual gift? And take any other gift as well, the gift of greeting and welcoming other believers, or the gift of administration. And I think it's, uh, it's really a moot point, because even if it is a natural gifting, it's a natural gifting because of the Spirit of God. So just remember when uh, the tabernacle was being built in Exodus, that uh, God chose two men, Aholiab and I can't think of the other ones there, Bezalel, Bezalel and Aholiab. He chose those two men to be craftsmen, to be the master craftsmen, to, to, to make all the things for the tabernacle, the cherubim and the, the, um, uh, the lampstand and the ark, etc., etc., etc. And it says there in Exodus 35 that the Lord gave them the Spirit to be such careful, gifted craftsmen. And so whatever gifts are exercised in the church, they are all gifts that come from the Spirit of the living God. Then thirdly, these gifts are distributed sovereignly by the Spirit of God. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so, whatever gifts you have are given by the Spirit of God and given sovereignly. That means that you can't envy the gifts that He sovereignly gives to other believers, that you need to be content and satisfied with what He has gifted you with in a particular way. And that's a a struggle for all of us, I'm sure. I sometimes listen, I quite often listen to other ministers preach, and I wish at times that I could be as articulate or could illustrate as well as they do or speak with such passion and clarity as they do as they open up the Word of God. But this is who I am. These are the gifts that God has given me. I must use my gifts to the best of my abilities and be thankful for the gifts that I see in my fellow ministers without grumbling about the lack that I see in myself. And that's a lesson for all of us. You might wish that you were as gifted as someone else in administration or organization, or that you could keep your house as well as someone else does, or or that you had such business acumen that other people do. The Holy Spirit of God sovereignly administers and distributes these gifts so that what you have is precisely what God the Holy Spirit wants you to have. And, of course, because we believe that all things work together for our good, it is the precise gift that will be for your blessing. So be grateful for the gifts of others, but be thankful for how the Lord has particularly shaped you. 
Fourthly, all gifts are given by the Spirit of God for the common good. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the gifts that you have are not for your own honor or glory. They're not to draw attention to yourself, but they are to be laid on the altar in service to others. It is a wonderful thing to to know at Trinity how, how so much happens, and I have no idea how it happens. It just seems to happen because people have been gifted by the Spirit of God and use their gifts for the blessing of the church, and it just it just happens, and you don't know why, because they aren't drawing attention to themselves. They aren't parading themselves around. Now, of course, there are some within the church that have more public gifts, and that has its own challenges because of pride and self-promotion. But all need to remember that whatever God has given to me is to be used not for myself, but to be used for the blessing of others. Children, imagine if an eye thought that he existed, the eye in your body existed only for himself, that the eye was just there so that other people could look at it and say, wow, what wonderful eye that person has. But no, the eye isn't there for itself. The eye is there for the rest of the body, because if the eye were not there, your body would walk into walls and trip and fall and do all sorts of difficult and harmful things. The eye exists not for itself, but for the whole person, and so do you and your gift. It's for the common good. Fifthly, we need to understand that everyone within the church is indispensable. That is, you are indispensable. God has placed you in this body for you to serve in this body, and this body would be less without you. And the church needs to recognize that. The body needs to recognize that about each individual member, that we can't miss anyone. You're indispensable to the life of the church. Now, you, you might have struggles thinking about that and wonder how in the world am I helpful to the church. Well, I was, I was thinking about little Reese Mattia this morning. She was baptized here this morning. She's unaware of it. But I assure you that she was a blessing to the church this morning. She's a blessing, of course, to her parents. They'd love her, particularly Ryan after three boys having a, a lovely girl. But, but she's a blessing to all of us. I, I'm sure that there were some elderly folks who recognized that in a number of years uh, they will be passing from the scene into the church triumphant, and they're concerned about the church of the future. Will there be a church? And here's this little girl. She's being baptized and just her presence is a gift to them to remind them of the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. You might not think that you have anything to contribute to the life of the church, but sometimes just your presence is such a blessing, or your smile, or as a minister, the way you listen intently to the Word of God and determined to practice it in your life. It's such a blessing, such a refreshment to me, and I'm sure you are a blessing and refreshment to others in other ways that you might not know of. But remember, whatever you might think about yourself, the Bible says that each member is indispensable 
to the fruitful running of the whole body. So just like uh, the church is united, but uh, the unity must be displayed and worked at, so the church has been given gifts by the Spirit of God, and we must work hard to exercise those gifts for the greater good and for the honor of Christ. Sometimes I think it's thought that people who have particular gifts or who excel in something, uh, that uh, it comes easy to them, that uh, someone who's always having people over, that, uh, that it's a piece of cake for them, that somehow it seems maybe that the Holy Spirit comes down and uh, prepares the meal the night before so that uh, the person who's hospitable doesn't really need to do a thing. Well, that's not the way it is. Sometimes uh, it's a lot of work to pursue the gifts. I can think of people who who when they see a visitor at church, go out of their way to greet that visitor, and you think, why, they're an extrovert. It must be so easy for them just to walk up to total strangers and strike up a conversation. Well, they might be extroverts, but they might not be. They might be extremely shy. But they know that God has called them to serve in the body of Christ. And they go and speak to these people, and they have certain gifts to do it. They're conversationalists, ability to ask questions and carry conversations. But they might go home completely exhausted because of the effort that they uh, laid out in welcoming a stranger or a visitor uh, to the church. Gifts require hard work, and we must be expending ourselves for the blessing of others. That's a trust that we have been given. The Spirit has been given, and we're to steward the gift of God. We're to cross over the borders of our comfort and give ourselves without any thought of ourselves to the blessing of the body of Christ, because that's why we've been given the gift of the Spirit. Trinity is a particular manifestation of the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, Trinity Church is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here is the Spirit's workshop. Here He brings about unity amongst people who really have nothing else in common except the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's work hard to maintain, to pursue the unity of the church to go out of our way, to love one another deeply and fervently and from the heart. And it's the Spirit of God who's been given to us as the gift and who then in turn gives us gifts. So let's use our gifts well. Let's not think about hoarding them or thinking about our own comfort, but let's think about how we could serve the body of Christ for the glory of God in the church and through the church to the world around us, so that the Lord Jesus Christ, the great baptizer of the Spirit, might be glorified in us and through us. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray that you would bless us with an awareness of the treat that we have, that we've been given the Holy Spirit of God and that in Him we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that You would bless us as a united church, that we would pursue the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, 
and that we would give ourselves without reservation to one another, rejoicing with those who rejoice, suffering with those who suffer, serving one another with what you have first given to us so that in all things you might be glorified. Protect us from divisions. Heal any divisions that are there. Protect us from self-centeredness, we pray. Make us selfless in our service of one another. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our great Savior and Redeemer. Amen.